Father, lead us not into temptation. Amen. Anybody ever have trouble with temptation? Just a few of you? Probably every day. Some of you are tempted right now. I'm not sure what you're tempted to do, but you're still tempted nonetheless. You listen to that lesson. I, I was just looking at it again. It just struck me that how the devil started out by using a little word, if, if. And both times he started his sentence with if, if. Jesus responded, it is written, it is written. But the third time, did you notice, Satan said, oh, you want to play the scripture game with me? And he even quotes scripture twice. And Jesus responds by saying, you know, if you're going to misquote scripture on the Son of God, <clears throat> let me give you one in context. That's kind of an interesting thing. I don't know if any of you read the cartoon Frank and Ernest. I couldn't track this. I actually could track it down, but the, the uh, computer does not allow you to copy their cartoons for some reason. Uh, I would put it on the screen. But Frank and Ernest, Frank says, why is it that opportunity knocks only once, but every day temptation beats down my door. You ever feel that way that, you know, temptation is just pounding on your front door, just can't wait to get at you? I mean, the moment you open your eyes, temptation is out there ready to get on you. Now, if you struggle at all with temptation of any kind, I don't care what temptation it is, temptation to be lazy, the temptation to do bad, the temptation not to do good, whatever, I want to start by just sharing two Bible verses with you that will encourage you. Here's the first one. It's Hebrews 4.15. It says, For we do not have a high priest. And here I want you to know that the writer of the book of Hebrews is talking about Jesus. He's saying, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Now, that Bible passage always blows me away to think that Jesus, Jesus, the very Son of God, Jesus in whom we put all of our faith in, was tempted in the same way we are. Now, I don't know about you. I know what gets to me. And if I stop and say, oh, man, did Jesus have this temptation I had? Well, the answer is, yeah, probably. What's the big difference between me and Jesus? I gave in. <laughs> he didn't. See, the problem is that many Christians don't fully understand what temptation is all about. They don't know what temptation is, and they don't know what temptation is not. Some people define temptation merely as the opportunity to do wrong. But there's more to temptation than just the opportunity to do wrong. Temptation is the desire to do wrong. So it's not just the opportunity, but it's the desire. And hopefully you kind of know the difference between opportunity and desire. See, every day you go to work, you have the opportunity, for example, to embezzle funds. Uh, you have the opportunity to slander your boss or gossip about somebody else. Every day when you go to work, you have the opportunity to flirt with a co-worker or a fellow student. But temptation becomes temptation when it changes from mere opportunity to a genuine desire to do what it is that you have been contemplating. Now, mind you, you haven't done it yet, but you're in that place where you want to do it, and you begin to struggle with that choice. That's temptation. 
Now, many people, myself included, when you get to that point of temptation, uh, when you begin to struggle with this desire to do something wrong, you kind of begin to beat yourself up with this. Uh, you somehow think that the temptation is a sin. Oh, man, I'm tempted to do this. Oh, what a horrible sinner I'm a, I am. Uh, or I'm tempted. I mean, God just, God just must really uh, be mad at me for even thinking about this. Uh, but, friends, that just isn't true. I want you to understand, just from the story that Jimmy read to us this morning, is that Jesus actually understands temptation. Jesus was in the very same place during his time here on earth. While he was truly the Son of God, and we talked about that a week ago with the Transfiguration, at the same time he was still very much an honest-to-goodness, in-the-flesh human being. He was tempted just as we are tempted, He struggled with it the same way you and I struggled with it. That's exactly what the Bible says. But the difference is that Jesus never gave in to temptation. Jesus resisted, if you will, temptation every time it came along. He was without sin. And to me, that's encouraging. Because the Bible says that the same power that was available to Jesus to not do what he was tempted to do, is also available to us. We can ask for and we can receive power to resist temptation. Now, the second verse that ought to encourage us is the one where Paul wrote to the Christians at Corinth. He said, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. I'm going to stop there because every once in a while I get somebody who comes and sees me and says, oh, pastor, I've committed a real whopper this time. Oh, man, you're not going to believe this. But in my mind, I'm already thinking, yeah, I believe it. (laughs) And to be quite honest, you're not going to tell me anything new. I mean, you have not come up with an original sin. Now, you were born with original sin. I mean, in sin were you conceived, in sin you were born. That's what the Bible said. But you have not somehow come up with a sin that nobody else has done. I will, however, tell you as a pastor... While nobody comes up with new ones, it's amazing to me how many people have learned how to sin in combinations. Combinations I'd never thought of before. I mean, I mean that's like when I worked in a lumber mill a long time ago. It wasn't I'd never heard profanity. I just never heard it used in some of the ways in which it was used. Nothing new. I mean, that's, that's all Paul is saying here. You have not come up with anything new. And he said... And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, some people have looked at that and said, oh, my gosh, I must be stronger than I think. Yeah, that's that's true. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. No temptation, friends, is ever a no-win situation. Now, we like to think it is. We come up with all of these rational lies. We tell ourselves, like, oh, Pastor, it was just too much for me. I couldn't take it. It was just too irresistible. Oh, the desire was, oh, it just overwhelmed me. I, man, I, I didn't stand a chance. But, friends, here's the truth. You did stand a chance. There was a way out, and you could have overcome that temptation if you'd chosen to. When I was on vicarage, a young man, this is when you're out practicing to be a pastor, that's what vicarage is. A young man came to me, he says, Pastor, I have a problem, I, I do cocaine. Oh, okay. 
And I, I, I just, I said, so where do you do it? He said, well, what do you mean? I said, I just wonder where you, he says, well, there's this bar over in Pasco, Washington, where I go and that's where, I said, so you don't do it here at church? He said, oh gosh, I'd never do it in church. <laughs> and I said, and so you never do it at home? He said, my wife would kill me. And I said, you don't do it at work. He said, I work for Hanford Nuclear Power Plant. That, that should be frightening in and of itself. He goes, oh, gosh, no. The only place I ever do it is at this one bar. I said, well, I can take care of this. He says, can you? Can you really help? I said, yeah, don't ever go back to that bar again. And he looked at me and said, what? I said, don't ever go back. To, if that's the only place you go, that's the only place you're tempted, don't go back there. What do you mean? Remember how, was it the elder Bush who said, read my lips? I said, look, I can't say it any If this is where the temptation is, don't go back there. Where do you live? I live in Richland. Okay, do not cross the Columbia River again. Don't go to Pasco. Don't go to the other side of the river. It's kind of like, wow, he'd never thought of it. See, there was a way out of this situation. So you can experience profound power. You can walk in victory over sin when you learn to deal with the, temp- the temptations the same way Jesus did. So th- let's get to this story here, because in this story, this wasn't only a time of temptation. It summarizes the types of temptation that Jesus had. And guess what? They are the exact same temptations you're going to experience. And it's going to tell us exactly how he responded to them. And so if you kind of pay attention, you're going to learn how to respond to these as well. Now, this story, I find, is really interesting because this is one of very few events in the entire life of Jesus where there were no eyewitnesses. Have you ever thought about it? There are no eyewitnesses. It was just Jesus and the devil 40 days in the wilderness. So you might ask yourself, well, then how do we, how did they get into Matthew, Mark, and Luke? Duh, Jesus told them. Now, why would Jesus tell them about this story? I think it was because he wanted them not only to understand the power of temptation, he wanted them to experience power over temptation. So here's the story. And if you caught the very first words, it said that Jesus, when he was baptized, you know, under the power of the Holy Spirit, it said, then the same Holy Spirit did what? Led him into the wilderness. So here's, there's four things I want you to take note of. Here's the very first, t- first thing. There will be times in your life when the Spirit of God leads you into the desert. Now, we tend to think of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is always leading us down the easy path, where the road is well paved, the scenery is beautiful, But this isn't the case. Sometimes in order for you to become the person God wants you to be, you may need to spend a little bit of time in the desert. Now, we pray in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. The book of James even says, you know, that's true. God never tempts us with evil. But he does lead or we might say even allow us into situations where we have to learn how to trust him. We have to learn how to take a stand. We have to learn how to show loyalty to him. Now, following Jesus is not an easy path. Uh, I've been a a Christ follower for, you know, well over 60 years. Uh, It is no rose garden. Uh, It's full of thorns. Uh, I've been through the wilderness any number of times. 
somebody did ever tell me, oh, I'm going to be a Christian, now everything's going to be easy, I, I would tell you, get a grip. It's not always that easy. And sometimes it's even a little bit more difficult being a Christian in our world than it is to just sometimes just give up and be like everybody else. Now, we are guaranteed victory. There's no doubt about it. I hate to tell you this, but I've read to the end of the Bible, we win. I realize that kind of ruined the ending of the book for some of you, but we win. We are victorious in Jesus. Uh, We're guaranteed that, but we are not given an exemption from the battles of life. In the, in the book of Romans, I thought about this earlier this morning, there's a Bible passage that says we are more than conquerors. You ever hear that? We are more than conquerors. Well, if we're more than conquerors, guess what? We probably will have to do some conquering. I mean, you can't be more than a conqueror unless you've conquered something. And for you to conquer something, uh, you're going to be in a battle. There are going to be times when you get led into the desert where miracles suddenly seem to stop happening. When the blessings of God just seem to stop blessing or flowing or when loneliness kind of abides. There just seems to be no one around to listen to you cry. I mean, if you find yourself there, it doesn't mean God abandoned you. It just means God is getting you ready for something even bigger. Now, I want you to realize that temptation comes on strong in the desert. I mean, there is always a temptation to despair or to rebel or to take a shortcut or to just plain simple give up. And in the desert, you're going to find yourself faced with the opportunity and the desire to get out of it any way you can. But in order for you to reach your full potential in God, to be all you were created to be, The desert sometimes needs to be endured. You've got to live through it. But remember, just as the Spirit may lead you in the desert, He is the same person who leads you out of it. I mean, the desert experiences of life are temporary. uh, But if we don't learn how to deal with them, they can be permanent. So if you're in the desert now, just remember, God has not abandoned you. I don't care whether you feel like it, you think so or not. He has not abandoned you. He is there waiting to lead you through and out. Now, there was something funny in today's text, too. I still remember as a kid. The first time I ever heard this story, I laughed when I heard it. I don't know if anybody knows why I laughed. I mean, I had a weird sense of humor anyway. But when it said Jesus hadn't eaten anything for 40 days and afterwards he was hungry. <laughs> yeah, John, that's just exactly what I did. I laughed. I thought, well, no kidding. I mean, some of you uh, ate breakfast, and you're already now thinking you're going to die if you can't beat some Baptists to the buffet somewhere today. you got to, you know, we think we're going to die. He's hungry. I mean, what an understatement. Well, actually, I think Luke, who is a doctor, could have been referring to something that actually takes place when you go on an extended fast. Usually, let's say if you're going to go on a fast, After about five to seven days of fasting, the hunger pains kind of go away. And then it kind of gets to be a little bit easier. But the hunger pains typically come back, guess what, around day 40. And this is kind of your body warning you that if you don't do something pretty quick, starvation is going to kick in. So... At what point was Jesus when the devil came a-knocking? He was at his most vulnerable point. 
Here's our second thing to think about. Temptation attacks your weakest areas in your weakest moments. When Jesus was hungry, tempt, uh, 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 Satan came, here, turn these stones into bread. That's what Satan does. He, he's not going to try to tempt you where you're strong. He's going to look for your weak spot. And he's going to come after that weak spot time after time after time until you can somehow learn to shut that weak spot down. Now, there's an old story I told in which uh, the devil was wandering around in the desert one day checking up on some of his little devils when he came across his band of little devils uh, who were trying their best to wreak havoc on this desert-dwelling holy hermit. But they weren't getting, having much success. I mean, everything they threw at this desert-dwelling holy hermit, the hermit kind of shrugged off. I mean, they threw lust at him, they threw materialism at him, they threw gluttony at him, they threw comfort at him. None of their tricks were working. And finally, good old Lucifer observed their efforts a few moments and said, what you guys are trying is too crude. Let me have a chance at this. And he went over and he whispered in the old monk's ears, your brother has just been made bishop of Alexandria. And all of a sudden, that hermit's facial experience changed. His eyes narrowed. He became very angry because jealousy had suddenly set in. I mean, he said, how dare they choose my brother over me? I'm better every day. And then the devil looked at his demons and said, see, you find his weak spot and you go for it. See, he's going to attack you at your weak spot in your weakest moment. You just need to be prepared for it. Now, how do you prepare? Well, here's number three. Jesus gives us an answer. He said, you need to prepare your mind in advance for the probability of temptation. Now, in order for a nation to defend itself, you got to know where it's most vulnerable to attack. Now, I'm not going to give you a lesson on protecting our country today, but this is common sense. You need to know where people will come to attack you. You need to know which port or which border or which location. And then you need to establish barriers to prevent an, an enemy invasion. You can't really do that the day they're attacking. you got to do that ahead of time. And so Jesus responded to temptation by doing what? Quoting Scripture. Guess what? If you don't have any Scripture downloaded... And the day of temptation comes, you're just going to be standing there going, hum, 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 hum. <laughs> nothing's coming out. The devil's going to say, if, 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 you're going to go, uh, I got nothing, I got nothing. Now, I've always wondered how repeating a Bible verse can help during a time of weakness. Actually, I would be honest with you, it can't. I mean, just repeating the words of a Bible passage isn't going to work. What Jesus was saying here, he was affirming principles from Scripture on which he had based his entire life and ministry. I mean, just saying a verse means nothing. What you need to do is affirm that. You need to live that. That's why every time Satan tempted him, he responded with a scriptural principle. He said, in effect, look, I'm going to say this verse, not because I think a verse is going to stop you, but it's because this is what I actually believe. This is what I live. This is what my life is absolutely based on. Now, let me give you a few examples here. Uh, Satan tempts us with the same temptations with Jesus. Now, first of all, he tempts us to appeal to our appetites. 
I think that'll pop up there, shouldn't it? Next screen. There you go. He tempts us with our appetites. Jesus had been without food for 40 days and was hungry. Now, there was a twist to his method. He didn't just tempt Jesus with the idea of food, but with the idea of a shortcut. Satan's words are, if you are the Son of God, that's kind of a conditional clause that actually could be translated, since you are the Son of God. And he's saying, look, Jesus, you have the power to do this. You could turn these stones into bread. Why don't you just put an end to your hunger? Put yourself out of misery right here. Now, you can have everything you want right now. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with eating bread. I mean, when Jesus' fast was over, Jesus certainly was going to go and eat something. But Satan tempted him to take a shortcut to satisfy his appetite. And guess what? He'll do the same thing he did. He'll come to you, Katie, and he'll say, Katie, you don't have to suffer this much. I mean, you can make life more comfortable for yourself. Why don't you just do it the quick, easy way? Now, Jesus did not give in to temptation by turning stones into bread because he had long determined way before that day that there is a whole lot more important, there are a whole lot more important things in life than having a full stomach. There are better uses for his spiritual authority than going, saying, presto changeo and turning rocks into bread. That's why Jesus responded to Satan's if by saying, it is written. Man does not live by bread alone. He was talking about a principle that he was willing to live by. He said, my appetite is not the most important thing in this world. Obedience to my father is. Well, you see the second thing. He tempts us with an appeal to compromise. Devil takes him to a high place, showed him all in an instant, all the kingdoms of the world. And then again, I will give all this to you. It's given to me, I can give it to you. So if you worship me, it'll all be yours. Now, the truth is, uh, it would all be given to Jesus anyway. But Satan's temptation, again, has this little bit of a twist to it. Because he's saying, you can have it now. Offering a shortcut. Uh, if you worship me, you're not going to have to suffer. If you worship me, you're not going to need to get beaten. If you worship me, you're not going to have to go to the cross. If, if you worship me, you're not going to have to die. Just say the word, I can give it to you all now. Now, understand, Jesus could have taken the shortcut. Could have. His obedience to God was completely voluntary. Now, it's kind of difficult for us to imagine this, but he could have taken the devil's offer. And guess what? The world today would be a whole lot different. Instead, he comes back and saying, okay, you're saying if, if, it's written. He said, it's written, worship the Lord your God, serve him only. In other words, I will worship and serve God and God alone. This is a principle I have built into my life. This is something I stand on. I will not take a shortcut. End of story. Well, Satan does the same thing to you. Nancy says, just think about how much easier it would be if you'd compromise a little bit. I mean, all that stuff you want, you can have them. You don't have to pay such a price. You don't have to wait. Well, he also tempts with an appeal to entitlement. Devil leads him to the Jerusalem, up to the highest point, jump off. And guess what? Where he jumped off, he'd have landed right in the midst of a whole bunch of people coming to worship. That would have been kind of cool, wouldn't it, Jesus, do that? I'll just jump up, do two and a half with a full twist. Ta-da. Everybody go, oh, wow, look at Jesus. 
Yeah, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. He said, and the devil says, well, and by the way, i got some scripture to back it up. I mean, after all, hasn't he said he's going to give angels guard over you so they don't even stub your little toe on a rock? I mean, Satan was saying, look, Jesus, you're faithful to God. Let's see if he's faithful to you. You come, you've, you've come through for your father. Let's just see whether he'll come through for you. After all, you're the Messiah. You're God's son. I mean, give God a chance to prove himself to you. Now, there would be many times when God comes through for Jesus, pretty dramatic ways. I mean, particularly, what did he do? Raised his own son from the dead. But again, this is all about taking a shortcut. Don't wait, be, don't wait until it's too late. Make God prove himself now. But see, Jesus already had those principles ingrained in his heart and in his head. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. He'll do the same thing. Gage, he'll look at you and he'll say, buddy, your life should be easier than this. I mean, God should really be taking care of you. I mean, just think about it. I mean, how could you possibly trust God with the big stuff when he doesn't take care of all that little stuff that you really kind of like? I mean, take a chance. I mean, to some of you, you know, Jeff, you might say, oh, just quit your job. He'll provide a better one. I mean, buy a new car. Trust him to work out the payments. And a lot of people buy into nonsense like that. But you've got to decide right here and now that you won't treat God as if he's an errand boy. He isn't here to jump through hoops for you and prove this or that. Uh, God is not your servant. God is not some big giant vending machine in the sky where you shove a quarter in and pull it and God, you know, we are his servants. God cannot be tricked. God cannot be manipulated. But see, every temptation is a distortion of something good from God. Everything's a shortcut. And what we learn here is that there are no shortcuts to holiness. There are no shortcuts to obedience. If you want to be able to stand strong in the face of any temptation, you need to do what Jesus did. Decide right now that you are sat, that satisfying God is more important than satisfying your appetite. It's deciding right now that you are willing to pay the price for following him and that you will not take the easy way out. It's deciding right now that you will trust God to prove himself according to whatever principles he's laid out in his word. It's deciding right now that you will build your entire life, not on the world's principles, but upon biblical principles. David has a great Bible passage you all ought to memorize. Psalm 119, verse 11. I have hidden my word, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Great verse. That's why it's important every day to spend time in the Word so that these life-sustaining principles have an opportunity to take root so that when the temptations come along, you can say, it is written. Now, here's the last thing I want to tell you. Temptation is never gone for good. If there's a verse in the Bible that should give you the willies, verse 13 that Jimmy read this morning, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Ooh. In other words, okay, okay, you won this one. I give it to you. Jesus won, devil nothing. I get it. But just wait, I'll be back. That's what the devil's doing. 
I'm going to wait until you're in your weakest, most vulnerable point in your life, and I'm coming back like ugly on an ape. That's what Satan does. He's just looking for another chance. He'll come back. That's why you need to prepare now. That's why you need to be in the Word now. That's why you need to settle things in your mind now, because he's coming back. That's why you need to understand you're going to struggle with temptation. Your entire life is going to be a struggle with temptation. You just need to be prepared for the time it happens. See, friends, when you go through the desert, when you struggle with this onslaught of temptation, it doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. It just means he's preparing you for something big. That's why, again, I'm going to say it again, spend time in the Word and time in prayer every day. Decide now that Jesus is first in your life, that there will be no shortcuts. One last little thing. The devil comes at us with that little word, if. If. He twists and he turns the truth and he plants doubt in our mind and leads us astray. But here comes Jesus out onto the field of battle and Jesus is our champion. And he comes along with a little word of his own. It is written. And you know, because Jesus could not be diverted from going to the cross, you and I can take our stand along with our champion, Jesus, confident in strength and in victory, and know we're going to have the victory. Victory over sin, victory over death, Victory over Satan, and yes, even victory over temptation. I looked at our order of service this morning when I was done uh, with kind of going through the sermon the last time, and I thought, well, these are good songs, good songs. Then I thought, you know, there's one song we probably could have sang this morning, But not the whole thing, but I was thinking of Martin Luther's great hymn of the Reformation this morning for some reason. You know the one, A Mighty Fortress is Our God? I think the only part I would have sung with the part where it says, This world's prince may still scowl fierce as he will. He can harm us none. He's judged. The deed is done. Remember how that ends? One little word can fell him. You know the word? It's Jesus. One word can fell him. May God bless us as we endure the desert. In his name, amen.